Hebrews 1, verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hand. They will perish, but you remain, and they all will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Let's pray. Our Father, we just long to see the whole world coming to know you. We long for that day when everyone upon this earth will declare you to be Lord. And until that day, Lord, we will keep proclaiming the message. And so we pray now that as we look at this passage, that you would open up our hearts to understand, that you would grant to us a vision of you, Lord Jesus, as our creator, that you would expand our our faith to believe more and more how great you are. And Father, we pray for our Sunday school classes, and in particular, we pray for our children. Lord, it's so easy to forget about them. It's so easy to neglect, to plead on their behalf. And so we ask that you would indeed bring them to yourself even this day. We would long for the reality that not a child will leave here this day who has not put their trust in you, Lord Jesus. Would you do this for your great name's sake? Amen. Uh, We're going through the uh, book of Hebrews for the next year-ish. It may take a little bit longer than through the end of this year. It likely will take a little bit longer than through the end of this year. Um, Not completely sure. It's actually the longest book I've ever chosen to preach all the way through, so that's a a new experience. But as we think about the purpose of of the book of Hebrews, uh, we simply have to put ourselves into the, the shoes of people, what it was like in the first century, particularly for someone who had grown up within Israel, someone who had been a Jew... Uh, their whole life, and suddenly Jesus comes. The Messiah that they've been looking for has now arrived. And he ushers in a new administration to the covenant of grace that you've been living in. Up till that point, you've, you've had your sacrifices and, and you've had all of the, the offerings that you need to do on a regular basis. You had your particular Sabbath schedule that you had to keep. And, and all of this part of your culture is now turned on its head. And you know some of the challenges that came around that same time. Uh, like the book of Galatians in which Paul is writing against the Judaizers. The Judaizers are people who are telling Gentiles who were believing that they had to become Jews before they could become a believer. And so you have this, this rise of this confusion about what it is like to be in this, uh, this time of, of change. And through this entire book, as it's written to Jews in this first century, is this urging of them to follow Jesus. He affirms the Old Testament as being important, but he says, but central is you must follow Jesus, showing us that it is the Old Testament that is testifying of Jesus and and leading them in that direction. Hebrews 1 is a description of Jesus as God. In in my mind, in all of the New Testament, the the greatest description that uh, I've, uh, I've seen anywhere in Bible as to who Jesus is and, and showing that. In verses 5 through 14, which is a part of what we're looking at, he's really focusing on the majesty of Jesus. And he's, he's exalting the majesty of Jesus. And we saw last week, or last time I preached, three, two, three weeks ago, 
that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a part of his majesty. And today we're going to be seeing verses 12, 10 through 12. If you notice, the, the focus on Jesus as the creator and the majesty of Jesus the Christ, who is the creator. That's what I want us to focus on and to look at three implications of the truth that Jesus is the creator. That's what I want us to look at. And the first implication is that we see Jesus in creation. We can see Jesus in creation. Look at verse 10. He says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hand. This clear statement that, that, that Jesus has put his mark upon this world in creating the world. Well, let's look at this idea of, of seeing, seeing God in creation by looking at uh, Romans chapter 1 to start out. Romans 1 gives us a, a, a good understanding of how God reveals himself in creation. In verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So the context in which he's writing is about the fact that, that men, women, and children suppress the truth about God. And in their unrighteousness, they suppress it and they do not allow it to, to pierce their heart. So he goes on in verse 19, he says, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. You see, he's saying that, that God has made himself known to every person when he made them. Uh, Verse, verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what, that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. So I want to look at uh, a couple different elements that this, this passage tells us about God revealing himself. The first is that he makes it known inside us that each person is created with a knowledge of God. Augustine of Hippo put it, put it this way, and that'll be the... He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now, Augustine is, is writing his book, Confessions, and this is how he begins the book. He, the Confessions is, is a, a, a book that describes uh, his, his experience as well as his theology, but does it in the terms of a, or the format of a prayer. And so he starts out and he recognizes that, that because God has made us for himself, every single person finds within themselves a restlessness that cannot be satisfied until they are right with God. And to see how important that is. Others have, have spoken about the, the God-shaped void in every heart. Um, that's kind of a, a nice little 20th, 21st century way of putting the same idea. Um, and it helps us understand exactly what is being said in verse 19. But then in verse 20, he shows us something else. He says that in, in creation, the way that God has made creation, he's made it in such a way so that it would reveal his invisible attributes. His invisible attributes. It would reveal his invisible attributes. I love that. We'd be able to see that which is not able to be seen. And he allows that to take place. But not just his invisible attributes. He goes on to say also his eternal power and his divine nature have been seen. That God has made them clear through what he has created. That we're able to understand much about God when we look at creation because God has, if you will, left his fingerprint upon it. And so we want to see something of who that God is. I remember when I was uh, a pastor in Arizona, um, I, I think I'd walked out to our mailbox and 
and as I was coming back, there was a, a, a homeless guy who was walking through our property, and, and he stopped to chat. And so as we were chatting, and needless to say, I, I was talking about God, and he looked at me and he says, well, how do you know there is a God? And kind of had a little smug look on his face, and I said, and he looked and he said, okay, well, you got me there. And we continued our conversation. Right? What more do we need? Seriously? Seriously? You're going to look at this and say there's no God? Seriously? It's impossible. It's completely unreasonable to not recognize. As a matter of fact, it's an act of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness to look at this and not recognize the God who made it all. That's the message that we're, we're beginning to see as we look at verse 10, which focuses on two aspects of Jesus as the creator that I want us to consider. The first is that we should see his power. To see his power. And the first of that is, is the power of creation. He says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Laid the foundation. Did anybody notice the foundation for the new sign as you came in? If, if you didn't, you got to look at it later on. It'll look good. It looks really, really cool. I'm, I'm just so glad that that's up there and it's laid down and it's there and it's that upon which the sign will rest. It is, it is the very strength of the sign. And here he's talking about that, that Jesus laid the foundation for the earth. Now, it's imagery... And yet, as we begin to think about, what does the earth rest upon? Well, it rests upon a vast expanse that God created, right? And he created that expanse so that the earth itself would have a gravitational pull, but it would not be affected, if you will, by a gravitational pull other than necessarily the, the sun. And so then it's, it's resting in just that spot where he placed it. And so the foundation, in some ways, are, are the laws which he established, which cause the earth to rotate as it does and to, to go around the sun and to have the moon go around it and to have all the other planets playing their part on it and to have all the stars in heaven. This is all the foundation upon which he laid it. And he laid that by his power to create. You see, when God called into being light... He at the same moment called into being the laws that exist for light. He determined in that moment by speaking, let there be light, how fast light would travel. He determined at that moment all of the various uh, frequencies, if you will, of that light. So he, he not only created the light, but he created the foundation for the light. And to be able to look and to see that Jesus as the power of creation. Job 38.4, God asks Job to think about this for just a moment. He says, um, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Can you imagine being asked that by Almighty God? He takes the right response. Later he says, I place my hand upon my mouth. <laughs> Once I have spoken and I will speak no more. <laughs> Good idea, Job. Good idea. 
Because there's nothing you can say. You simply were not there, but God was. He's, he's showing the greatness of his power. We see in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, this, this picture of Jesus as, as the creator and sustainer of the earth. He says in verse 16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then in Hebrews 1 verse 3 he says that he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his power, of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. It is by the word of his power that he created everything. It's by the word of his power that he sustains everything. That in creation there is, there is an expression of power in the word of God. And Robin and I were talking about this this last week, and, and uh, she draw my attention, drew my attention to the idea of how the power of our words. Now, when we see it, we can command something to be done, right? But it requires someone else's volition to be in agreement for it to happen. Even with Siri, right? Even when you tell Siri to do something, sometimes she just doesn't listen. And won't do it. Have you experienced that? It's, it's, it's not that I turn her off. I think sometimes she turns me off and just isn't paying attention anymore. And there it is. But that's the full power of my voice. God, on the other hand, when he speaks it, has a power behind it that supersedes the volitional power of the individual receiving it. That for Jesus to say to Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus who had been dead four days, the only thing that he could do is come forth. It wasn't that it hit him and he said, nah, I'm good, Jesus, I'm staying here, right? Matter of fact, he got up so fast he came out that he was still in his grave clothes. And that had to be changed for him. That's how powerful the word of Jesus is. It's, it's an entirely different level of power. And we look at him and we see the power of of creation, that he can call it into existence by a single word. And if he has the power to create out of nothing, surely he has the power to save. But not just the power of creation, the power of self-existence. Looking back at verse 10, he says, And you, Lord, in the beginning... In the beginning, the word in, usually in Greek, is uh, the Greek word en. We would do it in, in en. Um, my Greek professor would be upset. It's actually an epsilon nu, but we'll, we'll use en for us. And, and that's how you would write out uh, the, the word. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is kata. And kata takes on different meanings depending on uh, the, the context in which it is. Uh, so when it's, when it's used with the accusative, which it is in this case, kata carries the idea of during. I like that a lot. During the beginning, think about that. The only way you can be doing something during the beginning is if you were before the beginning began, Right? And he was before the beginning began. And then when the beginning began, he was able to be doing something. And it was at that moment that he's laying the foundation of the earth. That self-existence of Jesus Christ is a power maybe beyond our understanding. As a matter of fact, we, we see the word during or in uh, translated as uh, during 
or uh, we at least can understand a little bit better when we look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, in which we, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, during a dream. We understand that, right? That's how he appeared. And so that's what the, the word means at this point, to begin to understand that. The power, and, and as, as, I, as I look at that, it makes me think, okay, so, so at that moment in which creation, time, space began, Jesus already existed. And so I understand his self-existence, that he has within himself an existence that is outside of all of creation. And I want to ask us to just meditate on that for a moment and, and to consider what that then means. To do that, I want us to think about the word power. It's uh, the word that's actually used in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that says uh, um, he upholds all things by the word of his power. It's the most common word in the, the Greek language for power is, is dunamis. And a lot of times when, when preachers will talk about dunamis, they'll see the, the immediate connection that we get the word dynamite from the word dunamis, and so we'll talk about explosive power and all of that. But that really misses the, the meaning of dunamis, of power. That the meaning is, is of ability and capability. Now if you think about that for just a moment, how, what is the relation between power and ability, capability? What is, what is that? But, but, but power, or we might even use the term energy, might get a little bit more of the idea of what we're talking about. And all of our energy, all of our power, is given from outside of us, right? We even know if, if we don't have enough to eat, we lose energy, right? If we don't sleep, we lose energy. These are things that, that build it back up. So it's not something that's just naturally inside us. We constantly are drawing it from outside of us. But Jesus is the one who existed before all of creation. And he existed completely in himself with the Father and the Spirit. And he was there. And when he created, he infused a power into creation that came from himself and his own self-existence. He didn't need it from outside. He had it, and he had enough that he could grant it to his creation, and so much so that it's able to continue on. Think of that power of self-existence as we think about Jesus who created all of this and was being before this ever was. We can see him in creation. We can see his power and we can also see his purpose. Look again at verse 10. You, O Lord, laid the, in, the, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. He turns our attention now to the heavens. The heavens is the work of your hand. I'm sure we think of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the earth shows forth his handiwork, right? We know that psalm. We're very familiar with that. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. We recognize he, he points our eyes to heaven. To look way out there. And what do we see in the heavens? I don't think I've got the verse up here. But you remember in, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God gave the lights and he gave them as signs for seasons and for days and for years. That we're able, if you will, to tell time by them that they are, they are showing us something. And what is their purpose? Why does he put all that out there? What does God do anything? For his own glory and the good of his people. That's why he does it. He says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. That's why they're there. 
They're able to show us something of the glory of our God. They're able to show us something of the seasons and the days and the years. And by showing us that, they're giving us a glimpse of the purpose of God. That as we begin to look and we see the order, and we begin to see the way that God has put it together, we recognize that individuals can navigate upon the seas simply by the stars and their placement that God has put them there. What an amazing mind to have put all this together and to do so for a purpose. Can you believe in such a creator? One that you see in creation? You can see him in creation. The second implication I want us to consider is that we need to value him alone. Look at verse 11. They will perish, but you remain. They will all become old like a garment begins to, to show us something of, of different values, does he not? He shows us the things that, that, that will pass away and that which will remain. And don't we value that which will remain, right? There's a reason why we don't use cotton candy as currency, right? It, it's just gone. I mean, there's, there's no substance to it, right? It can't, we, we use gold as the basis. Why? Because there's a substance to it, and it's an unchangeableness, and it's, and, it's, and it's the same, and there's a limited nature to it. And these are the reasons why it became so valuable to humankind, because of what that is. We think about values, we can think about them in a, in a couple different ways. Uh, Markway and Ample use uh, this as a description. Values are the principles that give our lives meaning and allow us to persevere through adversity. Now think about that for just a moment as we're talking about valuing Christ alone. That he becomes the principle, that is, my living for him becomes the principle that gives my life meaning and allows me to persevere through difficulties. Yeah, that kind of fits, doesn't it? To value him alone. Ayn Rand speaks of values as uh, a value is that which one acts to gain or keep. What matters to you? What are you working for? What do you want to maintain and sustain in your life? What do you want to gain? That's what you really value. And I think it's an important question for us to begin to ask. Not to simply assume that we value the right things, but to look at our lives. What matters to you? What do you really value? It may be money. And there's some value to money, correct? It may be prestige. It may be power. It may be respect. It may be my family. It may be my church. What do you really value? And I think that as we begin to look at this, that they will perish. That is all of creation, but you remain. And they will become old like a garment. He's pointing our attention to value Jesus Christ alone. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, we read, You shall have no other gods before me. The Hebrew word that's translated as before means in my face. In other words, you shall have no other gods that God can see. The God who sees everything. Right? He wants no competitors. He does not say, I want to be the most important one in your life. He says, I'm the only. Nothing else matters. The reason for that is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, doesn't Jesus tell us that no one can serve two masters? Either he'll love the one and hate the other, or love the other and hate the one. 
I, one way or the other. That's what's going to happen is you can't have two masters. At some point, having two masters, those two masters are going to come in conflict. That's why Jesus does not want to be most important in our lives. He wants to be soul important. He's all that matters. Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. It's all about Jesus Christ. Everything. We are to value him alone. Because the world will perish. He says they will perish, but you remain in verse 11. Think about the world perishing for just a moment. With people fighting for earthly power all around us, right? Got an email from Mel and Martha Pike this morning um, as they're just trying to look at their future, recognizing that the war in Ukraine has now been going for three months. And they're trying to figure out what do they do, and they're talking to their partners, and they ask for prayer that uh, for the folks in Ukraine, the women and children were able to flee, but none of the men were allowed to leave the country. They had to stay. And he prays for that. But as we think about the oppression, what's the point, honestly? What's the point? What are we fighting for? And in one sense, it's for power. And there's that desire to, to have that, that power in this world. We don't have to just look there. Um, we, we have the, the horrible tragedy of, of yesterday, was it in Buffalo, that an individual went in uh, specifically to, to kill black people because there are too many black people in this world. And so he wants to, to gain white supremacy in this world, and to do so he's seeking to kill human beings created in the image of God. For what? For what? We see it in our political system, right? And it doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican, both are trying to have power over the other, right? Both want to be in charge and have everything in their side and all of the power. That's what they're fighting for, and that's what they're continually working for. For what? For what? Hebrews 1.13 leaves us with that question, for what? They will perish. And is that what we're fighting for? Is that what we value? To have power in this world? We have within our own denomination the same struggle of progressives versus conservatives. And everybody throws words of derision toward the other side and they're all just fighting for power. Now granted, within each there are those who are, who are simply seeking to, to honor Christ. I, I get that. But there are also groups within each that are actually just fighting to have power within our own denomination. We'll talk a little bit about that. That's your... Uh, uh, this part of the message is brought to you by the congregational meeting, which will occur this afternoon. I don't know about you, but it, it, just, it just disturbs me. And it terrifies me that I, too, can have a draw to that. To wanting that which he says will perish. For setting my heart upon things that cannot last. It helps to read passages like Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? All of our battling for power, all of our fighting for control, one day this is the end of it, that he who sits upon that white horse will return and he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. He is the one that lasts. And so we put our trust in him because the world will perish and stuff will not last. Verse 11. They will perish but you remain and they all will become old like a garment. They all will become old like a garment. The garment gets old and it does a couple different things. First off, it gets out of fashion, right? So we're going to see even that what the world has to offer to us is going to be changing and the fashions are going to be changing and what we're valuing here on earth might not be valuable in 10 years, right? That tie that's so wide that was so cool years ago is going to look really silly now, right? And so we're going to want to get rid of that so it won't last. But it's also going to wear out. That it's going to become old and it's, it's, it's going to have holes in it and it's, and it's going to begin, the, the threads are going to become very, very thin. Jesus points us to that a little bit in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. I'm quite certain that this is on uh, the, the author of Hebrews' mind when he's writing these things. Is this recognition, oh yeah, remember Jesus said this? You need to value what matters. This stuff's going to wear out. It's going to grow old like a garment. Is that where we really want to put our treasure? Is that really what we want to value? That which is going to pass away? That which is going to fail? That which will not last? Robert and I have a friend that uh, was given a diagnosis of terminal cancer. He was told he had, uh, I think it was less than three months to live. And I remember getting that email and just the sadness of, of hearing that news. And yet, as we heard the news, he also said, So, I'm at home and I'm reading every book I can find and everything I can possibly get my hands on about heaven because I want to be ready. I want to look forward to it. I don't want to hang on to this world. I want to go into glory ready for God. And uh, my friend was deeply disappointed because his wife said, you need to call the elders and have them pray for you because the Bible says to do that. He said, well, yeah, I want to do that. So he calls the elders. Fifty elders from across the city came to pray for this man. He's still alive today. And that happened in 2012. (laughs) His three months have been extended. He's like, all that work preparing for heaven, and then it's put off even farther, and there, there he is. But, but I, I love his example. I just so appreciate Ralph and, and what he taught me at that moment that I need to do even now, even if God's going to give me 10 more years, that I need to have my heart so set on heaven. It's what Jesus says in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is Jesus really what I value? That's what the author of Hebrews is wanting us to see. 
The world is going to all perish. It's going to go away. But Jesus remains. The world is just cotton candy. But Jesus is gold. Let's value Him alone. The three implications are, first, you can see Him in creation. He's the Creator. The second implication that He's the Creator is that you can value Him alone. And the third is you can rest in Him. Verse 12. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. And you, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Do you ever face anxiety about the world? Not so much fear for your own personal safety, but just anxiety as we look to the future and we see all that's going on. The rise of violence continues to concern me deeply. Events like yesterday just trouble me and, and break my heart. And I look to the future and I, and, I, and, I, and I wonder, when will it get better? You know, you, you, you'd think that we would have learned about wars, but, but we haven't. And so we have the violence that continues to rage. And then I look at the, the, the rise of immorality around us and the normalization of perversion, which has become so commonplace within our, our nation and, frankly, throughout the world. And, and not just the normalization, but the preference of perversion in every, in every level. That it's preferred, um, not just expected, not just accepted, and it's, and it's heartbreaking. And I look to that, and I look to the future, and it troubles my soul. Does it bother you? Do you see the anxiety that can come from that? And, and yes, I think in, in one sense that's, that's, that's a, a, a reasonable response to what we see in our eyes and it can be very troubling. And it was troubling even at the time that the author of Hebrews wrote this. Imagine the distress that they had. They'd been living in a nation which was the church, right? Judah was the church and, and the nation and the church were combined and there was a morality and there was, there was a standard of values which was there and now as they see the church going out into all the world and they see Gentiles coming in who are coming in and they've got a history of, of, of uh, wickedness and of, and of immorality and they're coming into the church and that's distressing to them and they're troubled by what the future may hold. And so he writes the words of verse 12. With all of that anxiety, he says, and like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. In verse 11, we see they will perish in the passive voice. It's just going to happen to them. In verse 12, we see an active, you will roll them up. We have this change to where now it is God who is the one. It is Jesus who is the one who is acting to roll it up. It's not just going to go the natural course of things, but it is the very hand of Jesus Christ which is going to bring an end to all of the world and all of the world systems and to all of the violence and to all of the immorality. It is the hand of Jesus which will change that. So what is our hope? How do we rest in him? We rest in him because he's ever the same. He says, you are the same. You are the same. Not, you will be. You are the same. COVID has showed us something about inconsistencies, hasn't it? Or maybe it's just made us uh, more aware and, and we notice them, right? 
we see, we see the inconsistencies of, of government and business in the response, right? And, and, it, and it's, it, it, it's amazing. And most of us, how many times have you had a conversation with someone about the inconsistencies you've seen during COVID, right? We all know that. Yeah, we've had those conversations and it comes up all the time and it becomes a standard uh, way of, of talking about it. We see the inconsistencies in government, in, in businesses. We see the inconsistencies in other people, right? Because no matter how much we like it, a lot of time our, our pose is more like this, right? And we see how everybody else is inconsistent. I, I hope and I pray that we've also seen the inconsistencies in ourselves and we're able to look in that mirror and say, yeah, that wasn't quite consistent with what I said before and that's doing things differently. And so we've seen all these inconsistencies and sometimes it's, it's troubling to us to recognize those inconsistencies. But Jesus is the same. The word same is, is actually the uh, third person singular personal pronoun. It's interesting. Um, he says, but you remain you, right? That's what he's essentially saying. Jesus remains Jesus. Jesus doesn't change. He's the same. Who is he? Well, our catechism asks the question, what is God? It says, God is a spirit, infinite, meaning he lives outside of space. Not that he's really big, but that he's outside of spatial dimensions. He's beyond that. He's eternal, which doesn't mean he's old. It means he's outside of time. And he's unchangeable. Meaning he's ever the same. Nothing adjusts him. He is consistent. James 1.17 puts it this way. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He's the same. And therefore you can rest. Because he's the same, you see the standard remains the same. It doesn't change. That's one of the things that's bothered us about the response to COVID is that we've had a changing standard, right? Um, here, here we found ourselves, you know, early on with uh, like, I think in, in York County, seven new cases a day and, and, you know, we couldn't look at another human being. And now we're, we go through a time when there's 200 a day and we're all walking around without masks. Why the changing standard drives us nuts. What's the standard? Give us a standard. Tell us what it is and then stick to it, Right? But with God, that standard has not changed. It remains the same. And the great thing is the solution remains the same too. Because with his standard not changing, what is his standard? Perfect and complete obedience in every thought, word, and deed for the entirety of our lives. Well, now all of a sudden I'd like a little shifting standard. That's, 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 that's kind of hard. But the solution remains the same. And what's the solution? Trust in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's the solution. That is, has that changed? Nope. What did Abraham have to do? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The solution hasn't changed. What's the solution for us? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you trust that? Not do you acknowledge it to be true, but do you trust it? I invite you to trust him even this day. 
to put your trust in him and then rest because he will not fail. Verse 12, your years will not come to an end. You who are trusting in Jesus Christ, do you recognize what he has done? He chose you before the foundation of the world and wrote your name in the book of life. He called you at a point in time and said, Come and follow my Son. Not just calling you, but then through the power of His Spirit, He breathed life into you so that you could come and you could believe. And you did. He empowered you to believe and to repent of your sins. And then He justified you granting you forgiveness of sins and the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. He then adopted you, giving you all of the rights and privileges that belong to the Son of God. And then he began the process and is continuing to work in sanctifying you. And he will glorify you. He will accomplish that. Is that someone you can trust? Trust him today. I have a friend who's an ER physician that I used to coach with, and we played golf together a number of times. And uh, uh, David would tell me as I was talking about some of my health things, he said, well, Vince, uh, the best thing you can do to lower your cholesterol is choose different parents. I just loved the cleverness of that. I thought, okay. What did that do? That, that reminded me of the fact that there was a time when I did not exist. Each of us. There was a time when you didn't exist. You couldn't choose different parents. That, that's obviously not an option because you weren't. But you are not simply a random chance being who just came about you have been created by Jesus Christ himself purposefully by his own choice Jesus is the creator therefore you can see him in creation therefore you should value Him alone because He's your Creator. And then you can rest in Him because He is your Creator. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Thanks for the magnificence of Your Word. Thanks for the opportunity to slow down what was my original pace of looking at this passage and to be able to just look at these three verses today and to meditate on the majesty of you, Lord Jesus Christ, our Creator. I pray for this congregation, Lord, that you will help us to meditate more and more on you and your rights as our Creator and the greatness of your love. Will you do this for your own glory? Amen.